Hello and welcome to another edition of Across the States, the premier state policy podcast, courtesy of the American Legislative Exchange Council. Today, we will be hearing a conversation between Catherine Mortensen and Jonathan Williams, Chief Economist and Executive Vice President of Policy, and Lee Schalk, Vice President of Policy here at ALEC, on the new Rich States, Poor States report. And now, here is their conversation on Rich States, Poor States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an American Legislative Exchange Council live stream. Alec, I'm Catherine Mortensen. I'm joined by Lee Schock, who is our Vice President of Policy, and Jonathan Williams, who is our Chief Economist and Executive Vice President of Policy. Thank you all for being with us today. Uh, we want to just get right into this. Today, we released our 15th annual Rich States, Poor States. This is our ranking of states by economic competitiveness. The authors of it are Dr. Arthur um, Laffer. He's a Reagan economist. We also have Stephen Moore, an economist with FreedomWorks, and our own Jonathan Williams um, was a, a co-author on that report. So thank you all for joining us. And Jonathan, why don't we just start by asking you if there was a theme to all of the data you collected this year, and there is a lot of data here. Um, is there sort of an overall narrative, a theme that came out of this? Yeah, absolutely. And happy tax to everybody. Uh, we release this every year. This is the 15th edition of Rich States, Poor States. And, you know, the theme uh, is we've kept this ranking uh, similar over now 15 years of data, where these are 15 factors such as taxes and labor policy and regulation that we know matter for the future of states. We know that they're generally very correlated with the economic health, with immigration, uh, as people continue to vote with their feet. We know that based on, I know all of you as legislators have been working on your new uh, maps and redistricting, but you know, where did people go from? Where did they go to? They're leaving high tax states in droves like California and Illinois and New York. They're going to Texas and Florida and states that value economic freedom. And so rich states, poor states, goes through the data now 15 years of showing why people are leaving high tax states and going to low tax states. And what are those policy levers that matter the most? Tax rates, tax burdens, regulatory burdens, things like labor policy. Is your state a right to work state or not? What kind of minimum wage laws do you have? Um, and then just as importantly, because we know there's so many of these different ranking systems out there these days, but ours is so important in that we know these variables matter for economic growth. But just as importantly, there are things that you as state legislators directly control. Uh, so in a given session, you could change your tax rates, change your regulatory regime, change your labor policies. And in a short amount of time, we've seen, as we're going to talk about today, a whole lot of states move dramatically in the right direction over 15 years and a few that have dramatically moved in the wrong direction. So there's a lot of room for movement in these rankings. And I'm sure everyone watching wants to know, well, what are the rankings? How did the states work out this year? Um, so I'm just gonna put that on the bottom of the screen and we'll ask um, Lee, what are the top best run states in our rankings? Yeah, yeah, big news this year, Utah took the number one spot again, 15 years running in rich states, poor states followed by North Carolina at number two, their all-time best ranking in our report, Arizona at three, Oklahoma at four, and Idaho at five. But I think that there are a couple common themes we see here with some of our top states. Obviously, Utah, they have a flat income tax. It's not a progressive system. They've actually got a property tax burden that they've kept in check thanks to things like truth and taxation, which is now an ALEC model policy. But North Carolina is actually a huge success story 
in this year's report. If you go back to 2011, North Carolina was actually ranked 26th, so right in the middle of the pack. But thanks to major pro-growth tax reforms over the last you know, decade, North Carolina has really jumped in the report and really improved their economic outlook uh, and competitiveness. And they've done so by taking a progressive income tax system, getting that flat tax rate, but also having lower rates on both the corporate and personal side of the income tax code. And it's really paid off for the old North state. And I would say, if I'm not mistaken, North Carolina currently has a Democrat as governor. Am I right? So just to sort of illustrate that these rankings are not sort of a partisan issue. We look at everyone, regardless of political affiliation. Well, of course, it's a it's a nonpartisan report. And you'll see a mix of uh, legislatures and governors, different leadership in the states. Um, but of course, regardless of uh, whether it's a red state governor or a blue state governor, um, you've got all types of uh, progress that can be made. You may have uh, a legislature that sends a bill to a governor's desk, like in the case of North Carolina, uh, the legislature sent Governor Roy Cooper uh, a, a budget that included a complete phase out of taxes on business income, as well as an expansion of school choice, things that are uh, really strong ALEC policies. Uh, and that was ultimately signed into law. And so you can see how um, leaders in states have to work together on things like that. Yeah. So, okay, you got that. Number one, Utah for the past 15 years in a row. Congratulations to Utah. And now we're going to look at the bottom five, the worst run states in the country. And I'm guessing it's going to be the usual suspects. So, <laughs> And you would be correct. Uh, you know, as many of the good stories there at the, at the top of the index, as Lee was talking about, and there, we could spend a whole uh, live stream just talking about Utah, North Carolina, and Arizona as the top three. Unfortunately, not all is good news in the report, as there have to be a bottom of the report, and there will not be a lot of surprises for those of you that follow state policymaking. Uh, 50th out of 50 is, once again, the state of New York, uh, which has been in uh, nearly 50th every single edition. I think they moved up once or twice to 49th. Uh, and then they're followed by New Jersey, which is their worst all-time ranking at 49th this year uh, under Phil Murphy as governor, as we pointed out in our recent governor's report. They were one of the only states in New Jersey to enact a massive tax increase in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, on small businesses and uh, individual income earners. Uh, California, also not a big surprise in the bottom uh, three at 48, their worst ranking ever as a state as Gavin Newsom looks to continually spend more money and raise taxes. Uh, and then Vermont and Minnesota round out the bottom five. And as, uh, as good as the good news is, you know, these states at the bottom, I think follow what Reagan always correctly described is, you know, the liberal view of the economy can be summed up as this. And this is the approach of the bottom five states. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. If it stops moving, subsidize it. And if that's the, the governance theme, which it is, it's high taxes across the board in these states, and then special government winners and losers based on who's best connected in those state capitals and has the best lobbyists. Of course, that is the way not to do business, and that's going to come back to hurt those states greatly over time. Jerry Arthur, Arthur from Texas. No, I'm sorry. He's he's asking us, where is Texas in the rankings? So thank you for watching, Jerry. We're happy to have you here. 
just outside of the top 10, just just barely missed it at number 11 this year for economic outlook. And, you know, let's, you know, look, Texas is a great economic success story in so many ways. They get the big things right, such as avoiding a personal income tax, being a right to work state. So many of those policy levers that are, I think, the most essential out of the, the 15 that we measure. However, uh, as uh, I'm guessing a resident of Texas and a property tax owner in Texas, you know that property taxes are too high right now. And several other factors do weigh down Texas's ranking. It's something I know that's on the agenda in Austin as they come back into session next year with Governor Abbott and our ALEC legislative leaders. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be working with them to hopefully reduce property tax burdens in Texas and get Texas back into the top 10. And Lee, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about North Carolina being the big mover in these rankings. Yeah. Are there any other states that saw significant upward movement? Yeah, we actually saw Idaho go from uh, number 10 to number five in this year's report. They continue to chip away at their high income tax rates. States like Ohio now at number 19. If you go back to our first edition, they were actually ranked 47th. Um, and last year they were 28th. So thanks to tax cuts in 2021, Ohio is moving in the right direction. And then West Virginia is another state to keep an eye on. They're right in the middle of the pack this year at 25, but there's good things happening in West Virginia and they're trending in the right direction in terms of economic outlook. Yeah, West Virginia was actually one of those states where last year Governor Justice and a lot of our ALEC legislators in the Senate there were looking at ways to repeal the personal income tax altogether in West Virginia. Obviously, one of the key takeaways from our report is that all taxes matter, but income taxes are the most damaging. And anybody that's working on your last-minute tax filing today, you know exactly what I'm talking about, of how complex income taxes can be. And it's great news that so many states are looking to either flatten their income tax or eliminate it altogether. And that's actually one of the really cool stories in the last month or so in the states. We've seen really the flat tax revolution yeah. take off, whether it's Georgia, mm -hmm. whether it's Mississippi, whether it's Arizona, whether it's Iowa. We've seen four states in the last month or so become flat tax states, which for those history buffs uh, on the live stream today, in the history of state income taxes, I believe in 110 years, uh, we've seen a grand total of four states go from a progressive income tax to a flat tax. In the last four weeks, we've seen four more states go to a flat tax. So that's something we can all be cheerful of uh, this year. And what about Tennessee? Um, Amber Niblock, uh, she's actually a friend of mine. So hello, Amber. Welcome to the show. Um, that's your home state. How did Tennessee do this year? Yes, Tennessee is at number 13 in the report. Uh, they also do not have a personal income tax. They phased out their hall tax on uh, dividend and interest income, which kind of removed that asterisk on the income tax to make them uh, completely no income, one of the nine states. They also have a form of truth in taxation, which they benefit from on property taxes. And some of the hat tip from the, the flat tax states that we were just talking about in Mississippi and in Georgia specifically, I think the pressure that Tennessee in Florida and Texas is no income tax states in the Southeast region really put on those states, being in those state capitals. That's a big deal when you have to compete against zero in a state like Tennessee and Texas and Florida. Why have we seen those other states get so aggressive in cutting income taxes? And the thing that you talked about at the very beginning, which is really sort of the theme of this report, is these states that are performing well are attracting more people. And I certainly know that to be the case for Tennessee. I mean, that is a hot, hot state. People are moving to Tennessee, Idaho, Utah, all those sort of low-income, well-run states are really seeing the benefits. So I just don't understand why these poorly-run states aren't getting the message. I mean, to me, it's so clear. 
I, I wish I bought a lot of homes in Nashville, right? Salt Lake City or Boise in yeah. recent years because those real estate markets are booming, uh, especially pre-interest rates going up recently with the Biden inflation that uh, the Fed is trying to correct. But I mean, that being said, it is um, it's really interesting because the proof is in the pudding and that folks, states that do well in this report are inbound migration states. Yep. Uh, Utah, number one and for 15 years running. Mm -hmm. Guess which state was the number one state for population growth for the last decade in the United States? States, it was Utah, Utah yeah. and Idaho was number two. Uh, so we saw some some great correlation there. And the question is, is why the progressive states don't figure that out? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. And I think part yeah. of that is, is they're so dyed in the wool of their left-wing progressive ideologies in these states that they would rather worry about redistributing income than worry about economic growth. And I think that's fundamentally, I think, where they're coming from. Of course, Texas is another state that's had a huge influx of new residents. There was new Census Bureau data that came out during the height of the pandemic between June 2020 and June 2021. 600,000 new residents in the state of Texas. I would say that a lot of those people moving there are doing so because of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. That's a big, another big theme that we're talking about here at mm -hmm. ALEC is the, the opportunity. You know, that's what we are trying to promote. Um, speaking of opportunity, we have a great opportunity um, in the next year or two to urge Congress to keep in place what I call the Trump tax cuts, but they actually have a formal name. What is the formal name of these Trump tax cuts? I benefited because I remember I looked at my pay stub that when they first went into effect, I was like, wow, that's some real money. Um, they were set to phase out, though, at the end of 2025. That's right. Yeah, and that's something that all of you probably benefited because the vast majority of yeah. Americans benefited from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 that President Trump signed into law. If you remember the news coverage of the major companies giving raises and bonuses around Christmas time because they received the business side tax relief, but it was a huge tax cut on the individual side of income as well. Small businesses, lower rates. We saw the great uh, re repeal and rollback of the hated alternative minimum tax, the AMT, that was encroaching on so many middle-income taxpayers across the country. Uh, and then we saw things uh, like the SALT deduction. That was something that we at Alex spent a lot of time talking about in those years, which was that's the subsidy to high-tax states that was in the federal tax code. It was unlimited, and now President Trump's tax reform uh, capped that at $10,000 annually, putting an end to the unlimited ability to write off high state and local taxes. The point is, is we're not looking to protect high state and local taxes. Look at this index. We don't favor that approach. What we look at, though, is, is folks in those state capitals need to be training that really a dissatisfaction with their state government to the individuals, let's say, in Albany or Springfield right. or Sacramento, mm -hmm. and not looking for the rest of the American taxpayers to pick up the tab for those states' decisions. That's exactly right. So anything else? I mean, how significant were the Trump tax cuts, Lee? I mean, I know, like I said, I saw a real impact in my pay stub, but th I mean, what was $6,000 is what the median family kept that year? Or? Yeah, median income was going up right after the passage of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And of course, before the government mandated lockdowns of the pandemic, the economy was just yeah. humming along. And we saw so many employers giving out bonuses, unemployment had reached record lows. But it's so important that we are able to extend these 23 provisions that relate directly to uh, individual income taxes. It's so important that we extend those and make them permanent you contrast that with what's happening yeah. uh, in Washington right now and just with our economy, 
record inflation. We just saw the new numbers last week. Unemployment is still too high. We're, we're seeing a war on American energy independence. Of course, gas prices are at record highs. And what's the response from Washington and even the Biden administration? It's proposals to do things like raise income tax rates, to take our business income taxes higher than the rates imposed by communist China, of all places. And so there really is, I think, an opportunity here for state lawmakers to speak up in favor of extending the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. But it's so important right now. Um, it's such a stark contrast with what we're seeing happening here in D.C. Absolutely. And in fact, you just said something about um, state lawmakers. I've heard our CEO, Lisa Nelson, talk about state lawmakers are the lawmakers closest to the people. They know, they get it. They hear from their constituents about how tough things are. So I think this is a perfect opportunity for those state lawmakers to send a message to Washington, because it feels like so often Washington is just really out of touch. Like you say, the land of make-believe. Land of make-believe. Like they're not in touch with what's happening in rural Tucson, Arizona, or, you know, um, Canyon City, Colorado, where I lived at one time. They're, so I think this is an opportunity at the state level to make that message very clear. And one thing on that point, Kat, is, um, you know, a lot of people don't didn't follow this in the weeds as much, but when it comes to that federal tax reform, provisions that were on the corporate side, and those are important provisions, as Lee was talking about, that got the U.S. back to average versus being the highest business taxes in the world, higher than communist China, um, those were permanent. What's not permanent is the individual side relief. So yeah. the vast majority of the tax cuts, as we know, uh, small uh, businesses were a huge recipient of those. Middle and low income workers were a huge recipient of those on the individual side. That's the piece that you know we're fighting for in terms of educating on this issue. Uh, and that's something that, if anything right now, small businesses can't be hit by a double whammy of kind of this Biden presiding over the economy with inflation and just everything that's going on right now. And then the uncertainty about will their taxes go up if Congress yeah. does nothing to extend these tax cuts. I want to sh close out here with a quote, and this is from our good friend and author of this study, Stephen Moore. Give me a moment and I'll pull that up. And then I want you to react to that, Lee and Jonathan, and just kind of tell me where we're at. He, Stephen Moore said, it's a magic moment for tax reform at the state level. I think even in some of these blue states that have been traditionally very liberal, they're looking at some reforms that could really make their states more prosperous. Um, yeah, do you want to comment on that, Lee? Start yeah, I'll just reiterate what Jonathan said earlier. We're having, uh, and like Steve has said, we're, we really are having a magic moment. Uh, we've seen those four states go to a flat tax uh, just in the last couple of weeks. And so that re it really is a special time for tax reform. Of course, a lot of states have lots and lots of extra money in their budgets right now, thanks to uh, kind of the influx of funds that came out of Washington during the pandemic. And we have seen a lot of blue states uh, come to the table and try to figure out ways to provide relief. Uh, but we're always going to we're always going to point to um, meaningful pro growth and permanent tax reform as being the best solution for the states. 
Yeah, there's no doubt that Steve's right on that point. We've seen it with school choice. Last year, our board member, Patricia Rucker in West Virginia, led with the Hope Scholarship Program. It's become, I think, a, a model nationally. We're seeing states across the country take up that effort. And uh, on taxes, there's no doubt. I mean, if you are a free market state legislator right now, with all this federal money sloshing around the state budgets, we're hearing this all the time from appropriations and budget committee folks, which is really terrifying, which is we've got so much money sitting there right now, we don't know how to spend it all. So this is the perfect time to get it back to hardworking taxpayers, to small businesses, and to make sure that it's not used to grow government permanently where you're setting levels of spending at an unsustainable level. Because we know these times aren't going to last forever, and we know that this is going to end, and we want to make sure that states aren't putting themselves in a position where they're facing deficits and they're coming back to look to raise taxes in future years. Because you know they will. They will, at least in the bottom 10 states. Yeah, at least in the bottom 10. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that, Lee, that we need to touch upon before we close out? Or? Yeah, I would just send, uh, I would direct everyone to check out richstatesforestates.org. Check out how your state stacks up. You can compare your state's policies against any other state in the country. And you can even hit our adjust policies tool to see how, let's say, lower tax rates might affect your state's ranking. Okay, I'm going to try to put that up on the screen. And Jonathan, anything you want to rich states, poor states dot org. That's it. Yeah, I mean, there's a treasure trove of information here. So if you're a data geek like we are, at least Lee and I are, uh, we you know spend some time with it. We've got all 15 editions of rich states, poor states dot org loaded in, so you can track the progress. So like we're sitting here in Virginia, Virginia, for instance. 10 years ago, I was uh, at the Richmond State Capitol with then Speaker Bill Howell announcing Virginia ranked number three in rich states, poor states. Today, they've fallen all the way to 24, uh, one of the, the biggest loser in the 15 years of our report. And you can track that kind of movement. You can look at the biggest winners, like Lee pointed out, with Ohio and North Carolina and others moving up over time. You know, And we also have the ability, to call our Adjust Policies tool and the website to say, if you're following a proposal in your state, if you're a legislator and you're looking to propose something, how would your bill affect your state's rich states, poor states ranking? You can click that button after making the adjustments and see right before your eyes how it would change your ranking for potentially next year. So for instance, in Arizona, we were working with Senator Vince Leach and President Karen Fan, our ALEC board chairman this year. Uh, we were looking at ways that they were looking to cut taxes last year. And they said, what would our tax bill do to our rich states, poor states ranking? We ran that calculation. We said it would move from 13 to three. Well, guess what? It actually did. Arizona is at number three this year. They've improved 10 spots. And that's the kind of thing that we can provide going forward. So this is literally in real time that sort of the 50 laboratories of democracy as you see these states competing with one another to get that higher ranking. Exactly. So, and I think yeah. the one takeaway message always from this is, you know, you can easily as a state fall behind by standing still because yeah. there's so many states moving in the right direction that in this competitive environment, you really have to be continually foot on the gas and moving in the correct direction. Otherwise, you run into the situation like Virginia, which didn't make all that many big policy mistakes. And yet, as North Carolina has gone from 26 to 2, Virginia has gone from 3 now down to 24. So how about that for bordering states moving in different directions? Thank you very much. It's just so refreshing to hear some good things happening in terms of limited government and federalism and lower taxes, because we're definitely not getting it out of Washington. So kudos to all the states out there that are doing good things. We are just grateful for you and grateful for all of you who joined us today. And we'll see you next time on another Alec 
live stream. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 